You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. Well, I know today is going to be a good service because we've had a lot of issues with uh, our, like this weekend has been a little bit of a tough weekend. So I know that's a, that's a good indicator telling me it's going to be a good Sunday when it's coming up. Because there, when there's resistance, I know there's a reason. Like when Jesus, when he went to go deliver the man who's the demoniac in the garrisons, when he crossed over, that's when they had the, that's when they had the, when Jesus fell asleep on the boat and they're like, we're going to drown. And so there's some, there's always a storm before a victory. And so it's just important to remember that But hey, let's go ahead and let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word and your truth. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would touch every heart. Lord, that every barrier would be removed in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would fill me up, give me an anointing for today. I ask, Lord, that it be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, just to give you an update about Sam, I I don't know if everyone heard or not, but my son Sam, he started calling me Daddy Derek instead of just Daddy. Um, And so it's been interesting. But uh, to give you an update, last Sunday, he called my brother, who's his uncle, Daddy Josh. Uh, So he's, if he learns your name, he may call you Daddy, whatever, may call you Mommy, whatever, we don't know. And my girls are taunting me because they're also calling me Daddy Derek. So that's, it's weird. But anyways, that doesn't have to do with the message. I just wanted to tell you, tell you that because that's something I wanted to say, I guess. Um, but hey, let's move on to uh, Scripture now. We're in 2 Samuel 11. It's been a little bit before, but since we've been in uh, the Scripture, so just to give you all, uh, you know, to look back, David has become king over Judah, over that one tribe, and then he becomes king over the nation of Israel. He ends up conquering Jerusalem. They get it, and they make it the capital city. David is fighting battles, and they're winning. He ends up building a palace, and then, and then he says, I'm going to build I'm gonna, or I'm not gonna, I'm gonna build a house for God. We're gonna, he moves the ark and he says, I'm gonna build God a house. And God says, No, I'm gonna build you a house that's gonna endure forever. And then uh, he ends up showing kindness to Jonathan's son, who is David's best friend. He shows kindness to this man named Mephibosheth. And so he gives him everything that belonged to his dad. And then he tries to show kindness to another king. And it ends up not working out because that king ends up attacking the people that he sends as messengers and envoys. And so David fights the Amalekites and he beats them, but they don't win the war completely. So that brings us to where we are. So David, he's an established king. He is king. He is a successful commander of the Israelite army. His name is Joab. And so David gets to this place where he has a palace, he's successful, he, life is good, God has blessed him, and who knows that sometimes that is the time where we can get prideful and we can fall. When we're successful, when things seem to be going all right, when we have, we have all that we need and more, and so, because it, because it doesn't require on our part a lot of reliance, 
And David, he gets to this place where he justifies, yeah, Israel needed me in the last battle to win. I think that was a warning from the Lord saying, David, you need to be in the battles. But he, he's like, yeah, I, but you know, like Joab is more than capable. I have these 30 mighty men. <laughs> Nobody could come against them. They're, they're powerful. They're, they're anointed of God to do what they're doing. They can handle it by themselves. So verse 1 says this. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So David, he sends everybody else out, everybody else who can fight, but he stays. He stays where he's at, and he loses what is his purpose. And you know, when we lose our purpose, and we are idle, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so we don't want to be idle. We want to be busy. We want to work with our hands. We want to maintain focus on what matters most and what we're called to. David, he ends up just saying, I'm going to stay home. And we see it in verse 2 because it says this, One evening David got up from his bed. So why is he getting up late in the day? Now there's some translations that say it was in the afternoon. But still, he was sleeping during the day. He's taking a nap like... He doesn't have any worries. He has these other men at war. And it says, and he, he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David in Jerusalem, his palace was on the highest point of the city. And he's he has a vantage point where he can look down and he sees her bathing and and then he inquires about her. So I like to me, like I kind of side more with Bathsheba that I think she was really more of a victim in this scenario. I think there's some things that she could have done and should have done, but didn't. And and I find it I I understand why. But Either way, I mean, she maybe she should have could have covered herself, but surely I try to think of the high road that surely she didn't think anybody saw her from a rooftop, that someone is gazing down upon her from up there. Nobody ever hangs out up there, and so she's doing her thing, and and he sees her. So the first thing was he saw her, but then he continued to look at her. Some versions say that he saw her bathing, and then he behold her. It's different to behold somebody than it is just to see something. Like sometimes if I'm looking around, like if I see something, I can't control that what I saw, but I can control if I continue to look at that thing, right? So that's a choice. And so like, or whatever we set our minds to, we're going to go towards. If I set my mind on pizza king breadsticks, guess what I'm getting? I'm getting some pizza king breadsticks and cheese. And so David, he, he sees, then he desires, then he inquires because he wants, and then he demands it. And so we can never get to that place where you and I, where we, where we see something and we believe that I deserve this. This is what David does. Is he basically says, 
I'm justified because I'm the king. Because of what I see, because of what I want, I'm the king, I can have it, I'm going to get it. It's important that we don't do that in our own life, that we understand what we deserve based on Scripture's death because of our sin. But thank God for His grace that He allows us to breathe, and He's a good and gracious God. So His desire to investigate only turns to wickedness. So then David is given in this verse 3, he's given a warning. I believe it's from the Lord because, it, because he's, the man says to David, she's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So Eliam, Eliam's dad was a man named Adonijah. Adonijah was a person who was a wise man for King David. He was a counselor for King David. He would help King David see you know, what decisions should be made. And so he's given that warning. You don't want to mistreat the granddaughter of one of your counselors. You don't want to do that. And then Uriah the Hittite, he is actually one of David's mighty men. Now, if Uriah was around, there's no way Uriah would have given his wife to David. So these are friends. These aren't enemies. These are people who have bled for him and care for him. And he's given this warning. And then in verse 4, it says, Then David sent messengers to get her, even after the warning that he's given. It says that she came to him, and he slept with her. Now, remember, her grandfather is a counselor. She's married to Uriah. And so David's older like, I'm sure that he's, he's, he's a little bit of an older man. We know that he was over 30. I think Bathsheba was either in her late teens, mid to late teens, or she was in her 20s because her grandfather served, and, and there wasn't a long lifespan then. So you have to look at it at 20 years. If he's 60, if, the, if the, her grandfather was 60, then his son was 40, and then she was 20. And so that's, that's how I look at it is, is that, that there's a certain timeline. And so when she's brought to the king at age 20, around that age, and the king wants to be with her, she's a young woman. She doesn't even know who she is fully yet. So can you imagine her being brought before the king and, and feeling like she had to say no? What would the choices be? Probably death. Now, this is a good warning for you and I because it's better for us to stand in the face of death and stand with God's way than to go with the way of the world or please people because at the end of the day, we, don't, we serve an audience of one. We serve Jesus. We don't, we're not people people. We're God's people. It's important that, that we remain that and we stand on his truth saying, no, this is wrong, even if you're going to kill me, which it may get to that point in this nation just because we believe the Bible, because there are things that are in the Bible that I believe that they're going to say one day is illegal to even read. We're going to read it. We're going to say it. Because we're, we don't have our eyes fixed on this earth. We have our eyes fixed on what is ahead of us in heaven, on what is eternal forever and ever. So David goes and gets her, 
And then it says, now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. So that tells us that she was at the end of her period, and there's no way that Uriah could have impregnated her. And this next verse says that, that then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David, he ends up hatching a plan, and he does it in steps. So he does it in a way that seems clean, he does it in a dirty way, and then he does it in a completely evil, demonic way. So, and David's not, David was the good king over Israel, but who knows, he wasn't perfect. And so this is for you and I to understand that we're not, we're not David, we're not perfect either. He's the one who, who wrote the Psalms about God. He's the one who is called the man after God's own heart. How could he do these things? But he's human. The Bible says that every person has sinned and fallen short. Sinning is just missing the mark. It's missing God's mark. Another way to say it, it's falling short of God's standard or God's glorious standard. And the Bible says that we all have done that. And the wages of sin is death. And that's a physical death and a spiritual death. The spiritual death is separation from the Most High. And so it's important to remember, if David can fall, so can we. So David's plan is this, verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Then Uriah came to him, and David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. And then David said to, your, to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him, like food and lots of great stuff. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all the master's servants and did not go down to his house. So David's plan is let's get him to sleep with his wife Let's make this kid, I'm going to just not even pretend the kid's not even there. I'm not going to be a father. I'm going to let him father the kid because I don't, I don't want to lose my kingdom. And so he says to him, hey, go wash your feet. Go to your home, wash your feet. He's saying, go home, relax, take it easy. And to me, I, the scripture doesn't say this, but I think that Uriah had to have been questioning, why does the king want to talk to me? Why is he pulling me out of the battle? He knows I'm a skilled fighter. What does he want? And remember, he's, a, he's one of David's mighty men. He's not stupid. He's not dumb. So it says that he ends up sleeping with, or he sleeps uh, next to the, the servants of David. He didn't go down to his house. And then David it was told Uriah did not go home, so he asked Uriah, haven't you come home from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Verse 11 says, Uriah said to David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are encamped in the open country. He's basically saying they could be attacked at any time. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love with my wife? And then he says this. He says, as surely as you live, David, I will not do such a thing. 
So he basically is confronting the king, saying, I'm not going to do it because they're alone and I'm a soldier. I'm not going to take pleasures and be with my wife. I'm thinking about the soldiers and the men. I'm not going to do it. No matter what you say, David, no matter what you do, I will not do it as surely as you live. That's the attitude that you and I need to have. Now, Bathsheba, it's important to know that she ends up, she's a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And what's interesting in the lineage is Uriah the Hittite's name is mentioned. It says but the da- the, that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. God blessed him in that righteousness, and his name lives forever because of that, even though the line didn't come from him. So he says, I'm not going to do such a wicked thing. I can't do it, and it's a rebuke to David, saying, no, I'm not going to go wash my feet. I'm not going to go relax. Why should I sleep with my wife? I think it's a hint, whether it is divine that he's saying this, that, it's, that God is moving, the Holy Spirit's moving on him, or I think he might have known to a degree something's up. Because, you know, you can tell when something's up with your spouse. And a lot of times, when I've been in counseling before with couples, talked with couples, like, they've known something's up. They just don't have any evidence. So verse 12 says, David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and at the king's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him, drunk, made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among the master's servants. He did not go home. So the second plan is that dirty plan of, like, let's get him drunk. Hey, drink more wine. Hey, enjoy the king's pleasures. And then he, he still has his wits about him, and he ends up going. He, he ends up just staying with the servants. Verse 14 says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And he, and he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Think about how wicked this is. He gives the man he wants to die the letter. He knows that he's so faithful that he'll deliver the letter, his own death letter, his own death sentence. Think about how wicked that is. He's, he looks his friend in the face who served him and hands him the letter. How demonic. And David, I, can, I think about like this, like David said, stay here this day, and the next day you'll be able to go home, but he actually keeps him one extra day because he has to plan more. So he's planning, he's getting him drunk didn't work. Okay, and I think that David probably started to justify some things, which was, man, that (laughs) it was very pleasurable what happened with Bathsheba, right? Who knows he had fun? And I'm sure that there was a lie of the enemy in his mind that said, well, what if you just killed him? If you just kill him, then you'll even get Bathsheba. You'll come in like the hero. You see how evil and twisted it is? It's awful. 
So then, verse 16 says, So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. So hold on. So Joab, he ends up getting that letter, reading that letter, and I could see him opening it and then looking at Uriah like, what did you do? And he doesn't want Uriah to die. He's one of the mighty men. And so he doesn't follow what David said. David basically said, put him with, put him with where the battle's the fiercest and then back up. Well, he doesn't do that. He puts him with the strongest men. And it's because if, if, if he had put him with men and then they all backed up from him, how would have that looked on Joab? Something's up. So Joab kind of covers his tracks. He still puts him where the fighting is the strongest. And so it says, when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Verse 18, Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger. He says, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. And he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerobesheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that she died in Thebes? Why then did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you, say to him, moreover, Uriah the Hittite is dead. So he's... He's basically saying David knows his history because history says they got too close to the wall and a woman pushes a stone over and kills a man and judges, like 10 or 9. And so he's saying he's going to, like, Israel looks back at history and tries to learn from it. We should do the same. And so he's saying that, that he's gonna, his anger is going to flare because of how many men died, but this will calm him down. Uriah the Hittite is dead. Verse 22 says that messengers were set out, and he arrived, and he told David everything that Joab had sent him to say. The messengers said to David, The men overpowered us. They came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city of the gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. And moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. So David, verse 25, David told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the, ta the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. So he's saying it's okay. People die in battle. And you can see how David has justified the lie that he's dying in battle, but God didn't see it that way. God saw it as murder. Who knows there's a difference between a just death in war versus a murderous act, a deliberate act to kill the innocent. And that's what David did. He ends up sending him so that he will die. And David is calmed down. He says, it's going to be okay. Just press the attack against the city. And there's, a, there's multiple faults here. Like we mentioned before, there's a fault on Bathsheba that she should have stood, but 
Who is she, a young woman, to deny the king? David shouldn't let his mind get there. But there were servants who knew what David's plan was. They came to David throughout saying, Uriah didn't go sleep in the house. Like They, they came and, and acted like friends of the king, but, but the wounds of a friend are better than a kiss of an enemy. And they really were kissing the king as enemies, trying to give him what he needed, what he believed he needed, and the best that he needed. And Joab... He takes what David says and he acts on it in a different way to cover his tracks. Messengers and Joab could have stood up to David and said, what's going on? Why is this happening? This doesn't make sense. What is wrong with you? But I would say because David didn't have his mighty men there, who would come confront him or say, no, no, you can't do it that way, David, who would raise their voice. David does whatever he wants because he doesn't have any accountability. He just has servants that just, that just answer his call and just go ahead and go with instruction. And it's important that you and me, that we all have people in our life, and that's why we need life groups. People who will call us out is iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another, so we all need to be in the life group. Everybody, once you get involved with a life group, there's not a life group that you like, something that you enjoy, start one. But it's important that we have people who can speak into our life and can give us a little bit of pain but not harm us. Because like, there may be something that, that my wife or my brother or my father, Pastor Nathan, says to me that may hurt me, but it's not going to harm me. Do you see the difference? Because it may, it may hurt, I may feel pain, but harming is completely different. And so if we love people, we'll tell them, We'll tell them where their faults are. We'll let them know. So David, David does this thing. Verse 26 says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned from him. Mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So can you imagine her husband dies, she gets news, she mourns, and they believe that the time of mourning was only seven days. And then David takes her as his own, makes her his wife. Can you imagine how this looks and how, how he has gotten so twisted and justified in his own mind? Okay, he died, we wait seven days, all right, I get her, now she's mine. Of course, the wise man who gives counsel to David, who's her grandfather, is going to know what's going on. And what ends up happening is that he betrays David. And I'm sure it's because of this act. And then these men, Uriah dies, but also it says other men died in the battle as well. And David's like, the sword devours one as much as another. He's justified it all to save his own skin and isn't even loving God's people and his own people. And it's important that you and I, that we see everyone through the lens of the blood of the Lamb. Because what does God see after we become his kids? He sees, he sees us as his children, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. 
when we see people, when you have temptation come, because everyone's going to see somebody that they're attracted to, they're not married to, at some point in your life, if it, if it hasn't already happened. So how we do that, the Bible says, above all, guard your heart. Because from it flows all things. And so we want to make sure we see people through the proper lens where we see them as sons, someone's son, someone's daughter, someone who is going to perish and go to hell if they don't know Jesus because they've sinned and lived a sinful life and there's been no atonement for that sin. It's important that we see people through the proper perspective. That we don't see people to be cursed, that, that we don't take ourselves above. No, Jesus said, I've called you to wash feet. He says, I have come to be a servant. And that's what we're supposed to do too, is wash each other's feet. To love our neighbor as ourself. And David loses sight of that. And he decides that it's better to, that other people die and other people have pain, other people perish than him. How terrible that, and how twisted things get as we remain with a lie and continue in a lie. We don't want to do that. We want to, we want to follow after the Lord and after his ways. And then David, it says that he, after that morning was over, he, he took her. He says, I'm going to look like the hero. Sweep up. No one will know. But you know what? God knows. Amen, everybody? He knows exactly what's happening. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows. He's the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present God. And he gives David warning after warning after warning. And even David taking this wife, this is wife number eight. On top of concubines he already has taken. Like David has a problem. David has an issue. He can't have enough. He's like, I'm thirsty. I want more. And so it's important that, that we don't do that. That we don't see something. That's why, that's why God said, do not covet your neighbor's wife. We don't covet anybody's anything. Because this life is fleeting. One moment caused the death of Uriah, the death of David's men, the death of a husband, so a, a mourning wife. And then he has, his son ends up turning against him. One of his other sons actually rapes one of his kids. You see, what happened was God said, because you've done this, it, it's affecting the spiritual. Because you've done this, your kids are going to, one of your kids is going to rise up against you and your kingdom is going to be torn in part. Torn apart. And so it's important that our decisions that we make don't affect only the physical, but they affect the spiritual. And it didn't affect just David. It affected generations to come. And it was an attack on the line of Jesus. Because God said to David already, I'm going to bless all people through you, a kinghood that will last forever and endure forever. The plans for your life and for my life are greater than just us. You have purpose. Everyone hear me. You have purpose and a calling. And it's not to affect your life and your life alone, but it's to, to affect the lives of all those around you so that people might know the Most High God. That for generations to come, that people would be set free and not in bondage. And what does David do? He sins, and he makes a, he makes 
a model for his son, Solomon, who takes 300 wives and 700 concubines. You know, little kids, they don't, they're just sponges. If you speak a certain way at home, if you act a certain way at home, if you say certain things, if you, if you do certain things, little kids just soak that up. Teenagers, soak it up. It's important how you act, not for yourself, but also for all those around you, because the lie in our culture says, if I do this, it's not going to hurt anybody else, and it can't be farther from the truth. In that last phrase that says, but what David did displeased the Lord. Look, worship team, you can come on up, but I've lied. I've stolen. I've lusted. I've hated people in my heart. Jesus said that is murder. I've cursed. I've come against the name of God. I've coveted things. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever hurt? Have you ever hated? Have you ever had a fit of rage? Have you indulged in something too much? Well, all those things are sin. And the Bible says this sin brings separation. Everyone in here, everyone's sinned. We've all displeased the Lord. And sometimes we put a sin up on a pedestal saying, saying well, I didn't kill anyone or I didn't hurt anyone. But all sin brings separation from God, and we all need the redeeming blood of the Lamb to cleanse us. And how we do that is we put our trust in Him, we submit to Jesus, we believe in Him, and we make Him our Lord. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.